Taking summer time to keep it real. I'm gonna give it to you straight up in your face with no chasers. All I'm trying to do, love spreading, love real love, love putting y'all up on game. Pay attention. Make sure the energy
beautiful people. How y'all doing out there today? I am Rosemarie Wilson, a.k.a. One Single Rose When I'm Nice, a.k.a. Pearl When I'm Naughty, host of Poetic Podcast. It is another beautiful sunny day here in Detroit. The weather is just perfect, and I hope that everything is well in your worlds, wherever you are listening to Poetic from Thank you so much for tuning in and for the love you guys have been showing to this podcast. It has most definitely been an amazing ride, and I am so thankful to you guys for the love that you have been showing to the show. Um, Every week we ask you guys if you'd like to call in with a haiku, do so at 313-266-2811. That's 313-266-2811. And today's topic is Resilience. And we most definitely have an artist who is resilient in everything that he does. He is a prolific writer. He is a slam poet. He comes to us today from the great city of New Mexico, which is absolutely beautiful. I had the pleasure of meeting him. I think it was in 2014 at the National Poetry Awards in um, Virginia. And he captivated me as soon as he opened his mouth and he started delivering his first piece. I mean, you guys are going to hear it for yourself. So get ready for the poetic stylings of Mr. Zachary Cluckman. Hey, Zach. Hello. Hey, hey, how are you? So good to see you. Hey, hey, good to see you too. Thank you so much for coming in. I know we're about two hours ahead of you. So thank you for spending your afternoon with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it looks like the weather is good out there. I see the sun shining over your shoulder. It is. We just finished our monsoon season and we had just insane amounts of rain, but the sun is back and shining, which means it's time to be outside. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Oh, just getting over this long holiday weekend. I hope you had a good holiday if you celebrate. We did. We uh, we spent some time, you know, I spend time with family and that's that's one of those, uh, you know, self-care things, right? Spend time with family and with loved ones and, and get a little time outdoors. And as long as I got those going and something right about then, hey, I'm doing OK. <laughs> that's what's up. I mean, it's such a beautiful your area is so beautiful. There's always something that you can see of beauty out in New Mexico. I'm sure your journals are just bouncing off the chain. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, in fact, we just, well, I just spent the weekend, two weekends ago, out on the lake at the break of dawn. And, you know, some, uh, the beauty of New Mexico is you've got every kind of geography you could ever want. So forest, lake, mountain, desert, you name it, we got one somewhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no short for wildlife out there for sure. So tell us a little bit about what got you started in poetry. When did you start writing and why did you start writing? Uh, good question. Um, so I remember I was sitting in my mama's womb. No, I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it feels like it was that early though sometimes you know what i mean uh, i think i was actually probably probably 12 or 13 when i first started writing poetry and uh you know it was a combination of things as far as why i mean part of it is probably like a lot of poets i wanted to be a musician you know and i wanted to write song lyrics like uh like roger waters from pink floyd or 
or Justin Persenfeld from Blue October. I wanted to be one of these people that could speak about the human experience and the human condition in a way that just felt real and authentic for people. And and at the same time, you know, I got to be honest, I also was, you know, an angsty teenager, like like a lot of kids at that age. And uh, I, I didn't have the language for it then. But what I realized looking back is that I was uh, I was basically doing self-care through poetry, right? It was a way to speak to all the things that were going on and uh, just kind of keep moving through them so that I could keep going, you know? So I, it, it gave me strength, it gave me purpose, it gave me a way to feel uh, connected to the world, I guess. And I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about poetry is that it connects us in these powerful ways. Somebody you've never met before, uh, you may do a poem and, then, and and I know you know this, you may do a poem and, and afterwards they walk up to you and tell you their story, you know, it's similar to yours. And all of a sudden this total stranger is now somebody you've bonded with in a really powerful way, uh, even though there's hundreds or thousands of miles between you. And, and I can't think of anything cooler than that, honestly. So, um, so that's probably what kept me doing it also. Yes, absolutely. The word brings us together. I always tell people that music is a universal language that no matter what language you speak, we all understand. And with us being poets, we can always draw from each other and learn from each other and glean understanding just with a few words. So, yeah, that's dope that you found that love at such a young age. A lot of a lot of us did start writing at a young age. What made you start so young? Why was it important for you to embrace the word at such a young age? That's a really good question. Uh, you know, it's I don't want to be too heavy, <laughs> um, but, you know, life is what life is. Right. And so. Mm -hmm. You know, the truth is that I had, by the time I was 12 or 13, I had racked up a number of traumatic experiences, just being real. Mm -hmm. And um, those experiences were on my mind. I didn't have the language for them. I didn't know how to process them. I didn't know what to do with them. And I've always, you know, at the time, I didn't realize that I struggled with depression and anxiety. They were just these experiences I had, right? Um, but I knew something was off if that makes sense and so you know i would you know poetry basically was an outlet i remember <clears throat> i actually found poetry mostly by accident um i was trying to write a song for the first time and uh you know all my early songs if i'm being honest you know i used to be a bit i mean i still listen to, to heavy metal but i was a big metal head back then and that's all i really listened to so a lot of the early poems were basically these attempts to write you know about the frustration or the anger or the hurt, um, which is what, of course, a lot of metal was. And uh, mm -hmm. it was interesting because, you know, I did it purely as something, I think we had done it in a class one day. And I didn't really like the poetry in the classroom, if I'm being honest, you know, it was very indrimey and very kind of that sing song, like old, you know, 1930s style poetry, which, uh, you know, no shade. Like that's great poetry and it has its place. But for me at that age, it didn't connect with me the same way. But mm -hmm. music did, right? When I heard lyrics from, again, like Roger Waters from Pink Floyd, it was probably one of my biggest influences because, you know, here's a guy who wrote in one, I remember one of their songs, he writes the lyric, it says, uh, through the fish-eyed lens of tear-stained eyes, I can barely define the shape of this moment in time. Hmm. And I was like, the 
What are you saying? <laughs> you know, like, what? It, it, it blew my mind because here was this very poetic language and this phrasing, but yet it, it struck to the heart and I knew exactly what he meant. And, and I guess in a way it kind of was like, you know, I think for a lot of young people, it feels hard to be heard. It feels hard to connect with the world. I think, you know, you may feel your parents don't really listen to you or maybe you only have your friends and they listen sometimes depending on the friend, I guess. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, but poetry was this thing that, you know, it, it listened all the time. A poem mm-hmm. always listens, a piece mm-hmm. of paper always listens. And you can say anything you need to. There's no fear of judgment. There's no fear of uh, retaliation or, or what somebody's going to think of you. You can say it and then you can share it or not share it. And there's, there's a safety in that. So I think it was those, those kind of elements that really made me uh, stumble into it. And then to give credit where it's due, I have to also thank my mom because she was uh, a visual artist. She's a remarkably talented visual artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she first read my first poem, she just supported me uh, in a way that honestly sort of surprised me because I just wasn't expecting it. Um, <laughs> but it was like, you know, you have a gift and, you know, you're, you're good at putting words together and what you're saying really, you know, I feel it. Um, so you should keep doing this. And then she kind of started giving me feedback and giving me uh, some lessons. So, you know, my first workshop, if you will, my first poetry critic uh, was actually my mother who was teaching me about things like meter and rhythm and, and syntax and things. So, um, so it probably, I, I probably have to say that, you know, that connection with her also was a really important part of it because, uh, you know, that was just a different way of communicating that, that we at least had not really had. So, so yeah, it was kind of a lot of things. I'm sorry. That's a long answer. I know, but <laughs> it's okay. This whole hour is about you. So whatever you want to say and do is totally your, you got the floor. <laughs> <Appreciate it. laughs> yeah. And, and you definitely are speaking as to today's topic of resilience because everything that you just spoke about just tells that you are resilient in your work and unapologetically bringing these words to life as they need to be a voice for yeah voice for the voiceless and you're picking up on that pain and writing past it that's what i mean poetry is like one of the best forms of therapy on the planet oh 100 percent, absolutely i uh you know it's funny because years later i started studying poetry therapy and I didn't realize, I'll be honest, you know, I'm, I'm a silly man sometimes. And I didn't realize that poetry therapy really existed in like a concrete academic form. And then I started researching it and I realized, oh, they've been doing this thing for, you know, nearly 200 years. Right. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> therapy. So I, you know, so I, I don't get credit for discovering it, certainly. Um, but it is... Uh, <laughs> It made so much sense to me when I found that, though, you know, because it is. I think it is therapy. I think, you know, like you said, a lot of us start writing young, and most of the time, I would reckon it probably is because we're we're self, we're being therapeutic for ourselves in our own way. We're trying to find a way through whatever it is that we're dealing with and processing. And so, you know, here again is this this way of doing that. And the beauty of poetry as therapy, I think, especially is that. Uh, because poetry has structure and it has form and it has certain rules, right? Um, you could take these really complex emotional places that you are in and these really complex emotional experiences that are 
by and large indescribable. And then you use poetry to give structure to that, right? And now all of a sudden you can vocalize some of these things that that were impossible to get out, I think, mm -hmm, before. Mm -hmm. um, man, if that's not the most beautiful thing. I mean, I've watched people not only react to poems that I've shared and then have really amazing conversations with them afterwards about their own experiences, which is one of my favorite parts of being a performance artist, but also just, I mean, I've actually found healing for some of my own experiences in, in both the writing and performance of the poem. So yeah, I completely agree. And it's, it's a, it's an amazing way of, of practicing some therapy. Yes, absolutely. So which poetic form are you more likely to use when you write? Are you more of a free verser, a lyrical rhyme, sonic? What's your, what's your go-to form of poetry that you normally lean towards? Uh, well, actually, uh, uh, that's such a good question. Um, I like to think that what I do is uh, shoegaze rap. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't think those two even go together. Um, no, I, you know, it's, um, it is largely free verse for me. But, you know, it's interesting because I've actually made a study of the poetic form, right? I, I'm a little bit ADHD as well and also just like wildly in love with poetry. So um, I've studied poetry forms and it and i've found i've found at least 219 unique poetry forms that exist wow and so, so far i've written a poem in about half of them i'm mm -hmm. still working on the other half um and that's really just about for me it's really just about i think you always want to know what all the tools are in the bucket right because mm -hmm. let's say you go to build a house right and you've got your nail gun and you've got your 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 screwdrivers and you've got your air compressor and all these other tools and then you realize oh i don't have a speed square and now all those other tools are useless. I can't build a house because I'm missing this one tool, right? And I don't think poetry works that way exactly, but it's still helpful to know what all the things are that you can play with, all the things that you can bring into it, right? Um, so I do play with all of those, and I do enjoy things like sestinas and everything. But really, for me personally, I love free verse because I actually find it the most challenging. You know, with, uh, with a lot of the form poems, there's such a, a prescribed structure, right? You're mm -hmm. going to have these kind of lines. You're going to have this kind of repetition. You're going to have this number of stanzas or lines or beats. Um, and that's cool. I mean, I think there's something to be said for that because it can force you to think about your writing in different ways. And it can really be good for playing with syntax and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, the most challenging one for me and, and the reason I love it is this free verse where, you know, it's like you're writing a song almost, but you don't have... A prescribed structure so you can really kind of create the music that you want to create without limitation but you still have to have a music right you still have to have that lyrical quality mm -hmm. so there has to be something about the poem that is that just flows that that catches the ear and engages the heart and so you know for me personally i don't think any feels anything feels better than than writing that poem and you usually know when you did it right like that's the great part is you write a poem <laughs> Well, I mean, at least for me, I'll write a poem sometimes and I'll be like, you know, oh, that's, that's crap. And I'll throw it away. You know, well, I won't really throw it away, but I'll set it aside. <laughs> um, I'll feel like throwing it away. <laughs> um, but then sometimes you write that poem and it may be a line or a stanza or a whole section of the poem where you're just like, oh, that was it. That was it, you know, and 
oh, that feels so good. That, that moment of creation just feels so good. And then when you get to go share that with people uh, on a stage or on the page or however you do it, um, I don't know, man, there's, there's such a unique feeling in being part of creation in that way, right? And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's really why I like the free verse because it, I feel like it challenges me to do all those things, but doesn't prescribe how I'm going to do it the same way. Yes. Yes. You can basically take your own time, set your own pace, put those words in how you want, because it's all free. And it's just so freeing to be able to write in free verse. So I feel you. That's one of my favorites as well. Yeah, it definitely will will take you on a journey on that storytelling journey for sure. And speaking of storytelling, let's hear um let's share a piece with us. If you don't mind. Okay. Absolutely. Um I think what I'm going to do is share something newer. Um you know, a lot of po a lot of people that have heard me know that I do a lot of performance poetry and spoken word. Um and this one is is a newer piece and normally I would, you know, I'd come on here and I would only do things that are really polished and really ready. Um, but I really like this piece and it is, uh, really important. I think for me right now, because I've been thinking a lot about grief in the last few years. And mm -hmm. I think with the pandemic, a lot of people have been, so this is sort of a response to that. Okay. Um, so I'm doing this show in Seattle and this guy in the audience asked me to say something about loss. And all I can hear is water. So I say loss is the ocean without a song. Even if you've never seen it, some part of you was born to recognize water as music. From the heartbeat of your mother's womb to the ocean with its millions of gallons of water as blue as her eyes, as blue as first night. The sound of waves writing the perfect song for catching moonlight in your hair. Hmm. Filled with life that from the tiny Miraculous plankton that sometimes glow with leftover sunset. The whales with their massive bodies in full ballet spin and you on this impossibly quiet strip of sand, witnessing life as it moves around you and then you blink and it's gone. All of it, the whales, the damp scent of salt water, even the song of the birds gone like it never was like the hourglass of your sand has run over and there is only desert here now. Mm. Some part of you knows this cannot be real. An entire ocean cannot disappear without making a sound, without first breaking your heart. Mm. But now, if you have never swum in it, swam in it, if you have never curved your body through its wet embrace, like a lover's hand cupping your chin, slip silver through its heart, maybe you never will. Maybe you waited too long. Put off the moment of inviting its warm pull into your arms because you were too busy with work. Life got in the way and you always thought there would be time later, but time wasted feels like indictment. Hmm. And like the good metaphor you are, you will wonder if you deserve this sentence because your ocean has left. And maybe it grew tired of waiting for you to answer its call, like your mother. Loved ones will try and comfort you in your grief. But if they have never lost an entire ocean, they do not know what it means to feel thirst, even for something you could never drink. How lonely it feels to watch your shadow struggle under its burden, knowing 
Every desert is an ocean someone has misplaced. Hmm. But you know all water is music. Even this, these tears, each carries one note of the endless song you have been straining so hard to hear. So breathe. Even when your grief makes a punching bag of your lungs, even when everyone you have lost stands outside the window, stealing the ocean back from the sky, let the rain come. Listen for their names in the song of water, pounding your lawn like Celtic drums. Make your hands the holy grail for your healing and drink deep. Believe your ocean is returning. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Every time I hear you, you always get me in my feels, and she don't cry in public. But you always <laughs> almost bring me to tears with your work. Your words are amazing, Zach, and I see your pen is still just as fire as I remember it from when we first met. Wow, that was Thank deep. You. Time wasted feels like indictment. That was deep. That Thank that you. expression got me because it's like you imprison yourself while you just going in this on this hamster wheel, wasting your time, doing nothing. And mm -hmm. wow, yeah, yeah, that was dope. That was and don't dope. We don't, don't we spend so much time? I'm I'm stunned sometimes by how much time we spend beating ourselves up for what we might have done or what we could have done or what we should have done. And, and, and of course those things are natural, but like you said, it is, it's, it's this prison, this trap we put ourselves in and, you know, grief is a heavy enough experience. There's, there's a lot to work through with grief as it is. Um, and so I, I wanted to sort of touch on that idea of like, kind of just go easy on yourself, right? Give yourself permission to, to move through these experiences because you know, if we're not moving, then we are stuck. And if we're stuck, then we're not healing. So um, that doesn't mean there's a timeline or, or how, you know, or, or a set amount of time or a right way to do it. It just means that, you know, we want to kind of encourage ourselves, I think, to keep, keep moving, which is why I like the ocean as a metaphor in that poem, because, you know, the ocean is never still, no matter how, no matter how calm it looks on the surface, right? There's always something else going on underneath and i think that's how we are as people most of the time so anyway um yes. yeah yeah yes yes that was deep that was that whole piece was a lesson so ne a necessary lesson i hope you guys were were picking up what zach is putting down if you like to call in the phone number is 313-266-2811 that's 313-266-2811. If you have a haiku on resilience, call in. Or if you'd like to talk to Zach, call in also and pick his brain. I'm sure that he will most definitely leave you with a nugget of knowledge or two or three. So tell us where poetry has taken you um, in, in your mind, emotionally, spiritually, um, in a physical place, um, on a certain stage. Where has poetry taking you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, honestly, kind of everywhere. <laughs> um, it's been quite a journey. I, I mean, it's, it's weird to think actually that, you know, from the little boy that was writing poems, you know, leaning against the fence in the audio back in the day as a kid, when I was, you know, we, we were 
very poor. Um, and, you know, uh, I spent a great deal of my time just, you know, getting by like, like everyone else there. But, um, yeah, it's just weird to think that that same little boy who was sometimes, you know, I mean, you never knew what was going to happen day to day, right? There were times that you might be, uh, you know, just looking for work or you might be dodging bullets or you might be, you know, uh, avoiding somebody who had a beef with you or, or dealing with that or whatever it was that was going on. So it was a sort of an unpredictable journey and poetry has been almost as unpredictable, but a little more pleasant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really kind of wild. I mean, I've been invited, you know, I've been all over the country performing. Um, I've performed in national poetry competitions. Uh, and like you said, and it was, you're right, it was 2014 that we met at the National Poetry Awards. Um, and I'm so glad for that. Uh, so, yeah. you know, even that, you know, to go to these events in different states and see the Empire State Building for the first time and, you know, with the year that it was in New York and all these other things. Um, that's been remarkable. I mean, and, and to be invited, I've been invited to Kenya. I've been invited to England. Um, still trying to work on somebody in Ireland getting me out there. So, you know, if you're out there and you're in Ireland, call me. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, so, so I guess geographically it's taken me all over the place, but also, uh, you know, there are these moments when it's just about that connection, you know, meeting, meeting folks like you, meeting folks, that are now friends of mine, you know, I'm such an introvert by nature and so quiet and uh, reserved most of the time, but you know, you get on stage and you perform and you share from the heart, you're really authentic and you meet people. And I have now met people all over the country and made friends with people uh, across the board. You know, I, it's, it's really kind of stunning to think that, you know, I look at Facebook and the however many thousand friends I have on there and I have met, every single one of those people almost in real life, you mm. know? Uh, and that's, that's pretty remarkable, you know, uh, to think that something like poetry, just telling stories about my life and about other people's lives that were close to me has sort of opened that door. So what it's really given me, I think in a lot of ways is it's given me the chance not only to travel and see all these great places, but also to build community in a way that I at least hold very dear because you know, it's, it's such a weird experience. I'll be honest with you, you know, I mean, poetry, well, poetry slam in particular, right. Is it's an art form, but it's also a game, you know, I mean, if mm -hmm. we're being honest, there, mm -hmm. there's always going to be a game element to it. Cause we, we, we give points and we award a winner or a loser or second or third place or however, you know, um, so there's always that element of kind of bar game to it too, which some people get mad when I say that, and I understand why, but I have to clarify that I don't think recognizing slam poetry specifically as a game, I don't think that takes away from it, right? Michael Jordan played a game. Mm -hmm. It wasn't less of a sport. He wasn't less of an athlete for it. He was just playing the game that he loved, right? And, mm -hmm. and poetry is the same way. Um, so it's been interesting to see how that has evolved and, and how sometimes people take that too seriously and they get caught up. And, you know, since we're talking about resilience, that's one of those areas where I've seen that, you know, poetry can teach you resilience in ways you won't expect as well, especially if you are out there performing spoken word or slam or, or even just touring, doing, you know, maybe a more academic style of poetry, because you will meet these people. You will meet people who, who take it so very, very seriously. Um, 
for various reasons. And I'm not mm -hmm. judging that. I mean, that's awesome, each to their own, you know. Um, but you'll find that like anything else, I think, you know, uh, when you put yourself in the public eye, you have certain experiences that aren't always good, either, right? There's there's some people that will, you know, there's haters. You mm -hmm. know, if you're on Instagram or you're on Facebook or you're on Twitter, you probably have haters. That's just, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's just the world Absolutely. we live in as part of social media. Um, and so, you know, there's a resilience that comes even with that, you know, um, with learning to navigate those feelings, especially if you're like me and you already have imposter syndrome. Um, <laughs> learning to navigate those things is another form of resilience. But I, I cherish it in some way, honestly, you know, because it's always pushing me to be better, to grow more, to find something deeper inside of myself that I can, you know, so that I can meet whatever unpleasantness comes my way or whatever ugliness comes my way to try to meet that with love. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so I think to answer the question, that's where poetry has taken me. It's taken me to a place of love where I could say, you know what? I choose to love me. I choose to love all y'all. I don't even know you, but I love you because if, if anger is a choice, if hate is a choice, then so is love, then I'd rather choose love. So, um, so it's taken me to some very, uh, I would say, rewarding spiritual places as well. Absolutely. Love will most definitely lead the way out of all of the chaos that comes with writing poetry, performing poetry, slamming poetry, whatever it is that you're doing creatively. If you approach it with love, it just makes it that much easier because you can get caught up in all of the other nuances that comes along with being on stage and in front in front of an audience. But if you approach things with love, it just makes it that much easier. Very, very, very good question. And you say you're you're really quiet, but your your words speak volumes very loudly for you when you perform your pieces because they are powerful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's uh it's it's I, I'm really grateful for that actually because it's I sometimes honestly feel like I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but sometimes I'll be in a conversation with someone and somebody will say something and it's such a great point or it's such a good question or or I just I have something I want to respond, you know, with and I'm not sure how to do it necessarily in the moment. So I almost sometimes am like, give me five minutes. Let me go write a poem. I'll be right back. Um, <laughs> um, because it does, right? It kind of gives us a way to respond to the world. Uh, around yes. us in, in a thoughtful way, right? Instead of a way that comes from a place of anger or hurt feelings or whatever we may be going through in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, certainly poetry can be loved and it can be good times and it can be happy things as well, even though, you know, I think a lot of people think the poetry is, uh, you know, your journal of bad experiences, but it's really not. Poetry mm -hmm. is everything. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a good thing I found it because I'm not sure... I don't know. I might very well have shrunk into reclusiveness and just been a hermit out in the woods otherwise. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good word. We'll definitely save your life, keep you out of trouble, keep you centered, and put you on a path that you never knew that you'd be on. That's for sure. <laughs> so you're, you're slamming again, right? Yes. So mm -hmm. what, what did you miss about... Poetry slams when you took a break. Oh, man. 
loaded question. Um, <laughs> um, no, honestly, I, you know, it's funny because I, you know, I talked earlier about how I think of Poetry Slam as a game and, and, and an art form at the same time. I think it is both. I think it is, there's an art form to it and an artfulness to it. Um, but there's also that competitive part, you know, where you are competing and you're trying to, you know, win a slam or you're trying to maybe prove something to yourself or whatever the case may be, whatever motivates you. And that's, that's fine. But I, I have to admit that one of the big pulls for me is just, I love the audience. I love the audience. I love being able to share something and then talk with people afterwards about, again, how they relate to it or how they connect to it or, or their experience. Just the other night, I did a poem at an event and uh, I have a poem about my, my daughter who is trans femme and mm -hmm. I do the poem and, you know, I did it recently the other night, as I say, and a couple of folks came up to me afterwards and within a few minutes, they're sharing with me some of their stories about, you know, coming out to family or, or you know, the experiences they had with those things. And, man, that that is so amazing to me. To, to hear people tell their stories in response to your story, right? Mm -hmm. Or some experience you're sharing. Um, and to hear them find that place where they feel comfortable to share their story with you and to just kind of get it off their chest. I love that. I, I live for that, honestly. Mm -hmm. That moment is so remarkable because there's a connection and there's a, a kind of healing, I think, that can happen for, for, for them and for me both. I mean, because every time somebody tells me their experiences, it heals a little part of me as well, you know, um, because even if I haven't had that same experience, I, I know someone who has, or I have a loved one who's gone through that, or there's some other form of connection that, that makes it um, very real for me as well. And, and, and again, you know, I love the human spirit. I think that humans are, we're remarkable creatures. We really are. Mm -hmm. It's stunning that we can go through all of the things we go through and still get up every day, even when we don't want to. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, and I, I'm one of those. I have days when I get up and I'm like, no, I'm just going to crawl back in this bed and I'm going to stay here till Thursday. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> and of course I can't. Um, but, you know, but, but we do it. We get up every day and we deal with whatever life has put in front of us. And we go out there and we kick the world's ass a little bit. And mm -hmm. I love that. And that's what I feel like Poetry Slam in particular kind of just, I don't know, it just seems to foster a space for those stories, you know, from, from the poets and from the audience. And that sort of immediate feedback for your poetry is really cool in the first place because, you know, you, you know if a person likes your poem while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Unlike if you, and you know, you never know if anybody ever read the thing. Um, <laughs> and if they did, they probably aren't writing you, um, you know, and telling you or anything. So, um, which is fine. But, but there is something very impactful about hearing from an audience or just having that moment where, you know, you're, you're performing and they're quiet and they're listening and they're, they're really receiving what you're sharing. Um, and so, you know, maybe I didn't become a rock star, but sometimes it feels pretty close, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that ability to just connect with people. So that's really what I miss mostly from the slam. And, and I do like the competition, you know, I, I like, as long as it's not taken too seriously and you can just have fun with it. I think the, comp the competitive part of slam is really fun because it, 
it pushes you, right? Again, Absolutely. try harder, do something new, take a risk. Um, so yeah, I love that. I love the motivation. I love the accountability of it. Yes, and you slam and you slam well. And you are always effective whenever you hit the mic. So right now we're going to go to your video to the man who asks why I still hold my son's hand. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back. To the man who asks why I still hold my son's hand. I don't do it every day. I don't even get to see him every day. The moment you become a parent, you begin counting down to this, to the letting go. My ribs are an abacus measured in beats of his heart and the number of moments we have left that he'll want to be this close to me. But in the time we have, we are studying the philosophy of clocks. When first built, clocks were given hands as their instrument of time. I believe this is the clock builder's way of reminding us to hold on because time is a stampede of horses running straight at the cliff's edge, but the people we love are the parachutes we take with us. So when the road runs out beneath us, we do not fall. We cannonball off that sucker. Listen, there's not much of it. So time is the greatest gift a man can give to his kids. My father gave me three gifts. A little red fire truck he gave me for Christmas a hand-stamped leather wallet he made for me in prison, and the hole in that wallet where whatever currency he hoped his memory would become fell out. No matter how poor I have been or become, I will never be my son's empty wallet. If all I can give him are palm prints whispered into his hands and memories of crossing the streets, he will know I was there between him and the trucks pretending to pull the sun out from behind the moon's ear and put it in his pocket. My son still believes my hands can do magic. But I'll leave the escape backs for runaway dads. Those Houdini cowards whose families are left holding the chains on their absence. I have held all of my children in the first hours of their lives. I am not gifted with wombs. Do not bleed sacred or know the secret name of the song that is sung when a child's first breath is taken inside of his mother. I cannot swim in that ocean. So this is as close to creation as I will ever come. But every time I hold my son's hand, I can feel God's heart beating. Why do I still hold his hand? Because he still wants me to. And listen, if we're telling the truth, Aren't you really only offended because you're worried that me holding his hand too long will cause him to seek affection from other men? To the homophobe who's overly concerned that me holding his hand too long will cause him to grow up gay. Fuck you. <laughs> if my son grows up to kiss another man's lips, then by God, I will walk him down the aisle. And if he'll let me, I will hold his hand all the way to the altar. Listen. I have a theory. There is one secret that love shares with the math of the universe. It's the subtraction in the equation that causes the problem to exist. This is true for a man and his kids as well. So as long as he is reaching out, I will take nothing away from my son, especially these hands. It's another one. It's another one. Me and Jeeves in this room, we bouncing off each other like, man, man, that was so deep. 
Man, you say you quiet, but your words speak volumes, Zach. That piece was amazing. Wow. As usual. Here you go, trying to get me in my feels, but I'm not going there with you. <laughs> I think your mic is muted, Zach. Oh. Oh, there you are. There we go. I'm sorry yeah. about that. Oh, it's no problem. No problem. You like to that homophobe. Fuck you. I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, your delivery is amazing. Your words are so dope. So many metaphors. So tell everyone where we can find you if we like to connect with you and stay up on what you have going on, the things that you are doing down in New Mexico with the Poetry Slams and curating events. Absolutely. Um, and thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, that that poem is a particular favorite of mine, too. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I am on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I do have a new website coming out. Um, that link should be up on Facebook and Instagram here in the next couple of days. Um, I've been developing the website, so it's taken a little while. Um, but because I have a new book coming out this year, uh, there's a, a press in London, the Black Spring Press Group in London is publishing my new collection called uh, Rearview, Rearview Funhouse which I'm nice. actually super, super excited about. Yeah, it's it's a little different for me, but I'm very, very excited about the work and it. It's about seven years worth of poetry put together. Um, many, many, many edits. So the website will be up so that I can kind of promote that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you can hit me on Instagram at physical poet, um, or you can find me, like say, just as Zachary Cluckman on Facebook and the new website will be up soon. Um, as far as New Mexico, yeah, we've, we've kind of got a lot going on. So I run an organization down here um, called Mindwell Poetry. Um, and, I, I, well, I, I guess I founded it. I kind of co-run it with several members of the community who really have been there to, to help support and build it up. And Mindwell Poetry is uh, essentially we, we developed this because we wanted to build a, a sort of a formal structure for advocating for and, and, and building safe spaces for people who've been marginalized because mm. of their identity or their experience or, you know, what's happened to them in their lives. Um, it's, you know, when we talk about marginalization, we sometimes forget that that can be uh, for any number of reasons. You know, mm -hmm. it can be economic, financial marginalization. It can be, you know, again, if you have mental health, you're often marginalized. If you have, uh, struggle with substance use, you, you've probably been marginalized. So we wanted to build this space for all of those voices in particular, because poetry, again, in my mind, should be a safe space. And we wanted to really, really take that extra step to ensure that that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of been our purpose with Mindwell. So we have, you know, we have that going on here in New Mexico uh, twice a month, the first and third Monday of every month we, we have shows. Um, and we actually just did a really big event. Uh, we did a we, we, uh, I also work with the New Mexico po State Poetry Society. And so with them, we just did a big event where we selected uh, an adult poet and a youth poet to go to a brand new national poetry slam called the Blackberry Peach National Poetry Slam, um, which is pretty awesome. It's the first year of that event. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got, I, I love that we have an adult and a youth representative representing the state to go to this thing. I think that's, uh, I think that's amazing. And 
they're going to both go to Florida this year uh, in October next month and compete uh, over a couple of days against 48 other poets from around the country um, and, you know, just kind of shoot their shot. And uh, there's big prize money on the line. But I think, you know, for me, I, what I always loved about those events was, again, the community and getting to know people. So um, I'm excited for, for our representatives for that. So, you know, we're always looking. I, I think I could say that we're always looking for ways to try to bring poetry to people in a way that either hasn't been done yet or that just reaches them where they're at. Because, you know, in and of itself, when you invite somebody to a poetry reading, uh, there's a good chance they say, eh, next time. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, mean, I, I love it, so I go. But, you know, a lot of people maybe don't love it as much, and that's okay. Um, so we try to find ways to bring poetry to people where they are. You know, we, we try to bring it into the classroom, or we try to bring it into uh you know uh bus benches or you know mm-hmm. uh, i'm a fan of busking i'll take a group of poets we'll go stand out on the street corner and kick poems for whoever will stop and listen um yes. so you know that, that's a lot of what we're doing right now it's just trying to find ways to kind of bring poetry to people because uh, as much as i love writing and sharing poetry i almost love it more when somebody else drops a piece you know especially if it's like somebody on the side of the road and they're like oh i don't really write poetry and then you you know, you talk to them and they listen a little bit and they go, all right, I got something. And then they'll, you, that's usually the person that drops the most fire piece you've ever heard, right? Right, like, right. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, here's my name and contact info. Come to the show, please be on my Poetry Slam team. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I love it. So we're, we're, we're just always looking. Yeah, yeah, that's dope. You are doing so much for the art for poetry in New Mexico and beyond. Thank you so much for coming on Poetic today. I really appreciate it. It was good to see your face, to hear your dynamic pieces, and you almost got, well, you had me in my feels, and you almost got that tear out of me, but she not doing that. But every time I hear you, you have me in my feels, and you make me just want to boo-hoo like a little baby. So keep up the good work, Zach, and I am excited to see what you have going on. And I want to send love to Marcial Delgado and Chance Cluckman, and best luck, best of luck to you in the Blackberry Peach National Poetry Slam, and the best to you, Zach. Thank you so much for coming on. Y'all connect with Zachary Cluckman on Instagram and Facebook. I will be posting links so that you can connect with him. I am your host, Rosemarie Wilson, a.k.a. One Single Rose of Poetic. And today's topic was resilience. And Zachary Cluckman is definitely a resilient poet. And he is definitely making his mark in this artistic genre of poetry. So we are here every Tuesday from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we will see you back next week. But I'm going to leave you with a piece, and it's called The First Time. I held myself captive for years. Trapped within darkness, this little light of mine didn't shine. My voice hushed within personal insecurities passed down by society. Daddy Longlegs blessed me with a stature considered intimidating. Thicknesses of these lips and hips are frequently frowned upon. Consistently defending the beautiful brown I was born with, cognac hues fashioned as a safeguard remain on the front line for those who take offense. Above average intellect terrified below average wit. Dumb and dumber knock my block off for the last time, then I realized I've got to get comfortable living in the skin I'm in. 
I can only be me. I had to step outside the box to live in color, proud and out loud, no longer slave to shade thrown by societal suggestions, no more wallowing in silence. My pen became my siren and sword. I pushed poems like weight, writing past pain on paper which covered my will, which was hard as rock, cut through all the mess with scissors before rock cried out, it's time to escape. Keys used in the prison break left indentations on my hands before being released from its death grip. The lone abductor, the alleys of my mind. Blinded by a so-called flawless culture, I met myself for the very first time. First time ever I saw my face. There I was. Tall, dark, and handsome. Smart, thicker than a snicker. Finally, I fell in love with me. Physical attributes may permit descending gazes towards those threatened by altitude. I vow to encourage my people because the only time you should look down on a man is when you're picking him up. Overweight lovers are frequently shunned by jealous flat backs, black backs who pay for butt shots and lip lifts. I don't think they ready for this jelly, but it's party time and celebration of life. So let's jam. The skin color is a blessing, deceptively labeled curse. Tides will one day return to an era when we were Adam and Eve, kings and queens, rulers of peaceful civilizations. Knick-knack, patty-whack, give us back our bones. Let haters hate while naysayers negate. You control your fate. Thank your old self for bringing you through. Be content with who you are. Strive for better to ensure you'll become someone you can tolerate the rest of your days. Open your eyes. Look in the mirror. If you can't do that, do you expect anyone else will? You got to love on your reflection. And if you've never appreciated you, the next time you actually see yourself, I hope it will be the first time ever you saw your face. One single rose, no stem. See y'all next week.